Hey friends, welcome back to Real Life Marriage, where I'm your host, Candace Mummert. And on a great day, my husband, Aaron, joins me as the co-host. Whether I'm sharing tidbits and encouragement or interviewing people brave enough to share what goes on behind closed doors in their marriage, it's all for the goal of strengthening marriages. We're glad you joined us as we unpack the good, the bad, and everything in between when it comes to real life marriage. Welcome back to Real Life Marriage. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Brett and Kim Blair. We actually met through a leadership conference, I guess you could call it, and uh, we hit it off because Brett and Aaron and I actually all went to the same university, so we had a quick connection there and uh, have become friends and and even kind of, you might say, co-workers as we're figuring out this world of leading others and writing books and all of those kinds of things, but Brett has been a huge blessing to me, and then I got to meet Kim through Brett. How long have you guys been married? Seven and a half years. Right? Almost eight. It'll be eight, December 30th. Yeah. Okay. So coming off on eight years. And to kick things off, I love to have the couples introduce one another. So, Kim, would you introduce Brett first? And then, Brett, you'll do the same for Kim. My pleasure. Well, this is Brett Blair. He um, is an amazing individual. I am so blessed to have him as my friend and partner in life. He's definitely, um, for a living, he's a life and business coach. He's currently pursuing his PhD, and he is somebody that's definitely a lifelong learner, so always eager to learn, um, something I've known about him since we first met and has continued through the 10 years or nine that we've been together. And he is also one of the most self-disciplined people I know. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're currently training for a half marathon, and he's doing better than I am as far as (laughs) getting up and getting those miles in. Um, and he definitely inspires me every day to just be my best and do my best every day. And he's also very kind and forgiving when I goof up. So love that about him as well. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Your turn, Brett. How do I follow that? So this is Kim Blair, my beautiful wife, who's one of the most loving people on the planet. Her day job is she's a real estate agent here in the Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill area, and is absolutely crushing it. Uh, she went into that business about two years ago, but before that, she was a 20 some odd year executive. And through that work, she got to know just about everybody in the state. <laughs> and Kim is a type two on the Enneagram. She's a helper, a very healthy helper. God made her to help people. And awesome. the cool thing about her work is that's all it is. It's helping people 24 seven. And and she's helped me so much as well. And I wake up every day, every day, thanking God for this amazing lady in my life. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah, I, f- I forget how many connections we have because we went, both went to the University of Missouri and then Aaron and I moved to North Carolina and you guys are in North Carolina. So we know the Raleigh-Durham area. And so anyway, that's cool because we can visualize the places that we've been and, and there's some similarities there. But anyway, so tell me about 10 years ago, how did you guys meet? How did this life partnership come to be? So do you want to start? I'll start because my journey <laughs> Your started first. A little yes. bit before mine. Right. I was living in Florida in 2000, prior to moving to North Carolina. 
and I was married and my husband passed away, actually took his life in 2005. And of course, tragic, heartbreaking, didn't know what my new normal would be, um, but definitely knew that, you know, if I never fell in love again, that's okay. Mm-hmm. I was open to, you know, being a single person and living the fullest life I can. Um, but then in 2000 and so that happened in 2005 and then 2009, I had a job change and my niece here in North Carolina was about three years old. And I thought, you know, I need to move to North Carolina to be close to my sister and her family because I didn't have any children of my own. And so I moved up here, things lined up beautifully, which is always a sign that God is all in it because it, it came naturally and I wasn't nervous and it felt like the right thing every step, of, every step of the way. So I moved here in 2009 and I met some great people and, and had not, when I was living in Florida, not open to really getting serious about another man in my life. But moving here was a lot, was so much more healing than I thought. I did not realize that changing my, my geography would mend my heart in such a magical mm. way. So God was all in that as well. And then I met a girl who had done some online dating. And so she had nudged you, me. You met her at church. I met her at church. Yeah, yep. I, church. She and I were volunteering together. And so she became one of my my first girlfriends here in North Carolina. And she had was very comfortable with online dating. And I was very uncomfortable with <laughs> online dating. And she uh, nudged me along the way and was my sounding board and the person that I gave play-by-plays after those crazy dates and all that stuff. And so she was a really good friend of mine to encourage me to go online. So I did, and I met Brett through eHarmony, but his journey, so I I ended up here in North Carolina in August of 2009, and then Brett came the following spring. So tell tell why you, how you end up here. Okay. So... I, in 2009, 2010, I was living in Michigan, divorced. I'd gotten divorced prior. All my three kids were out of the house, running my recruiting company, living in this big house alone. And the the economy was really bad then. I don't know if you guys remember, but it Mm -hmm. got really hard. So it was tough, really, really, really tough time in my life. Business was teetering. I was really, really stressed out. And in the middle of when it couldn't get any worse, my mom, who who is at a, living in near Destin, Florida, called me and shared that she found out that she had a lung disease and would probably not live much longer unless she got a lung transplant. Mm. And her doctor in Florida recommended that she go to Duke University in Durham, North Carolina for that procedure. And uh, long story short, Duke would only take her on as a patient. She had a family member live with her 24-7 near the Duke Hospital and be on call to rush her to the hospital when they when they got donor lungs. So in April 2010, I moved to Durham, North Carolina with my mother. I was 49, she was 70 or something. And we shared a little apartment near Duke Hospital. She had to lose a bunch of weight and get stronger before they would put her on the waiting list. Mm-hmm. So every morning I would take her to the fitness center where they worked with these patients. And I was running my recruiting company remotely. I got a little ready to maybe date. So I moved my eHarmony account from North Car- from Michigan to North Carolina. And I think Kim was like the third match to me on eHarmony. Bam. So July 1st, 2010, Kim and I had our first date. And July 30th, 2010, my mom got a double lung transplant at Duke Hospital. Wow. And now it's nine, 
over nine years later, she's doing perfectly well with her lungs. She, that, that year in October, she was healthy enough to go back home, by, live by herself and go home. And then I had, Kim and I had a decision to make then because we yeah. were falling or I was falling deeply in love with this lady and I chose to stay and ran my recruiting company remotely. And then we got married a year and a half later and here we are. Yeah. So wow. God, God orchestrated our two separate journeys in a way that we met at just the right time. Yeah. Like a year before we met, we were living in different states. And in definitely different, I know for me, different mindset, yeah. you know, I, he, he worked in me and literally moved me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. And then we, it, my story on this is it couldn't have got any worse in my life. Like I was just wake up every day going, how much worse can it get? Mm. And then bam, out of nowhere, this incredible blessing. And we actually fell in love on the phone. Yeah. We, we, before we ever met, we talked for hours and hours and hours and hours and it, sharing our stories. I'd gone through a really tough divorce. She had gone through what she had gone through. We had both gone through a lot of therapy and learning about ourselves. So when we had those first phone calls, it was like this open outpouring of how we had grown through our difficulties and how we were both committed to being healthy, independent, not codependent mm. people and blah, blah, blah. I was so attracted to this lady's story I, I, before i ever met her i was crazy in love with her but or, or falling in love with her <laughs> yeah so yeah, why did it start out with all the phone conversations was that because of timing and where you lived and schedules or was that like we're going to tiptoe into this and just do phone before we even meet in person like how did that unfold you made the um eharmony they have a guided communication and actually they start out with like uh, multiple choice questions and then open-ended questions and you send to that person and they send, they answer them and then they send some back to you. Well, Brett, I think we did like the, the first round of that. Like we didn't go through the, it goes, you know, multiple choice, then open end, then, then you fill in your own question and then you get, then maybe you get on the phone. Well, before the first multiple choice, Brett sends a note saying, I feel like you can learn a ton just by one phone call. So if you feel comfortable, here's my phone number. And me being a little more traditional, I wanted him to reach out first. So I said, that sounds fine. Here's my number. I'll be around <laughs> tomorrow afternoon. So he <laughs> called me. And so we started talking. Like we, I think we got within three or four days of getting matched. We were on the phone. And then the you know each phone call was multiple hours. Can I add to it? Sure. So my memory is maybe on that first phone call, I, I said, are you on Facebook? Oh, yeah. She goes, yeah. I said, I think, ding, I sent her an invite. <laughs> <laughs> I think he said, like, can I friend you? And I'm thinking, sure, because I'll wait until the end of this phone call, whether I accept that or not. And then it was like, I didn't realize he meant, like, I'm friending you right now. And <laughs> your computer, I loved it. Yeah, so. And then, then we spent, it seems like, hours going through each other's Facebook profiles, looking at photos. And I got to know her family. Yeah, with and, each other on the phone. On and, the phone, yeah. All, all on the phone. And so... And I had a trip to Michigan scheduled. So our first date was a, a like a week later, but we talked a lot before yeah. we ever. And really got yeah. to know each other because the, because of Facebook, I got to see his family and see pictures that 
seemed a lot less filtered than what you see online. So on, you know, on eHarmony, you put your best pictures out there, you know, sure, so I guess more than just those few really great pictures. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's with his, you know, with like, my children, with the children and stuff like that. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. And so how was the first date? Was it awkward? Was it like you felt like you'd known each other because you'd already talked so much? It was not awkward. Uh, it was, it reminded me of falling in high school. That's what it felt like. It, I was so incredibly attracted to this lady and, and both chemistry and compatibility were, and that's the e-harmony thing, but I, it was like, there's no doubt this, this woman is amazing. And when I Kim, met her- could you tell that he was falling that quickly? Well, I just felt comfortable right away. Like there was so, I wasn't jittery. Like there were other times that I had, the few other dates I'd gone on since I'd been here, just the nervousness and the awkwardness and the uncomfortableness and the watching my words and that kind of stuff. With Brett, I felt comfortable right away. Like we just hit it off right away and I was comfortable right away. Oh, another thing that tells you how comfortable I was with him when I was dating and I hadn't done a lot of online dating, but the, every time I went, I had a match, I would screenshot the profile, send it to my sister, let her know where I was and when <laughs> our, for, for our first meeting, I didn't even tell her. I didn't even think about telling her, giving her a heads up. I just got goosebumps. So I, I think that like, that means something. Right? I don't think that's by accident. Totally. I agree. I agree. I was comfortable and, and you know, I'm a faithful woman and I feel like that was God's, the peace in me and the Holy Spirit just saying, this is all good, you know, yeah. nothing to yeah. fear, whatever. Yeah. So I'd like to dig in a little bit uh, because whether you've been married before or not, are, we have pieces of our hearts that get broken in, in relationships, whether it's in dating relationships, high school, college, adults, marriages, divorces, all of that. And something that I've heard, especially Kim, you expressed that you really got yourself to a healthy place. You kind of, it, this is my words, but I would say you laid it at the foot of the cross and said, Lord, whatever your plan is, I'm okay. If I'm going to be single from here forward, I'm okay, but I'm open to love again. And I think that that is a crucial piece that often people miss when we rush into the next relationship. Mm -hmm. And even so, and another, again, this is my words, but I talk about how we come into marriage with a suitcase. All of us do, mm -hmm. yep. uh, you know, a suitcase a, 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 that we could call baggage, good or bad. Mm -hmm. And I think that marriage, part of how God created marriage was for us to unpack that baggage together with this life partner that we're committing our life to. And so you expressed that you got yourself as healthy as you could and ready if the Lord brought a relationship to you. You and Brett together still had to get to know one another and unpack the broken pieces of your heart, the healed parts of your heart, the wounded parts of your heart. But can you just share with our listeners, what does that mean? What does that look like? How did you bring yourself to that place? Or what encouragement would you have for someone that's trying to have a heart that's ready for another relationship after after wounds or broken hearts? Yeah, great question. I know after my husband died, um, because he, you know, he struggled with anxiety and depression, I definitely had a lot of counselors in my life and that kind of thing. Um, and I had definitely value counseling to get help when you need it. And after he died, I knew I want to be I need to get through this. I don't want to avoid the grief. I want to get through it. I want to be healthier on the other side. So I, I really went head on. Like if someone said, read this book, I read that book. 
I uh, did go to counseling. I found a counselor that I knew through that circle. It was somebody that wasn't just a talk therapist, but somebody that would give me homework and someone would call me on my stuff and somebody that really was just really intuitive and what I needed. And actually I saw that counselor once a week. I don't remember for how long. And then I went to every other week and then I went to once a month and then every other month. And I was seeing him four years after my first husband died. I was still seeing him once every other month. And I would go heading into those, those counseling sessions thinking, this is probably the last one. I'm good. And then I would learn something or he would touch on something that prevented me from being a detriment to myself, Mm. helping myself get out of my own way and just continue to be healthy and grow. Um, I joined a survivor suicide support group. I mean, I really did everything and I just wanted to make sure I'm the healthiest self so that I could attract people in my life that are people, and not just a love interest, but also friends. And I want to be a good friend to people again and that kind of thing. So I really went head on, like I'm, I'm facing this grief. And I, I I also, I think part of it was I met people that really avoided the grief and tried to just like they were a robot going through every day and that, that mm. did not look like a, a good life. And I didn't want to yeah. be that person. I know my husband, my first husband, he would never have wanted me to be somebody that ended up alone in the corner and living a very solitude, quiet, sad life. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, the reason someone takes their life is because they're not healthy. So they have an illness in their mind that says that's the only option. So mm. yeah, I just went in head on and anything that anyone recommended, I did it. And if it didn't feel right, then I didn't, I stopped doing it. But things that were working, I continue to do. And there's the support groups and the counseling and the reading and just really jer- tons of journaling more than I'd ever done. Um, just to be, you know, make sure I'm taking care of me and, and healing through this and not avoiding it. Yeah. That's awesome. And Brett, you kind of expressed that that was part of what you were drawn to in her was this independent, healthy, full of life woman, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, that she, she made the choice to go live a full life after that traumatic experience and didn't make that her, her end, her defining mm-hmm. thing about her. Like n- hardly anybody knows about her story because she, she doesn't go around telling it to everybody because it's not her, whatever, that's not her label, her label. Yeah. She's, she's living into a big full life. She helps people who've gone through that, but she, she, I loved when I heard that. And another thing of God putting us together when we got together, we didn't know this, but three years later, after we got married, my first wife committed suicide. Oh, wow. It was just a terrible tragedy, terrible tragedy for my kids, mm-hmm. for the whole, for me, for everybody around her. And Kim was so helpful for me to yeah. then realize, because I was going through, what could I have done to help prevent that? What, well, all these what ifs. And, and right. she was able to help me go through that and reminded me that that was a, an irrational act done by a person who wasn't thinking clearly. There's nothing I could do to undo that, but yeah, didn't know that when we met, but that was yet to unfold. So we both both have that sad story in our lives, but we both are committed to living big, full, beautiful lives going forward. Even with that in our history, there's no doubt God put us together with, with that story in mind. And that's part of why I'm getting my PhD is I'm really curious about adult resilience and Mm. why, some people go through trauma and, and take their own lives or whatever. And others will, will grow and even become stronger after, after it. And so yeah. I'm curious about that. Why are, why yeah. do people have those different pathways and what can I do in my life and our marriage mm-hmm. and my work to help others be resilient? Yeah. But, but God was in it the whole time. Wow. Yeah. 
And oh yeah, and when we met, what one thing I I've done a lot of work post my when I first separated and divorced. I was a very codependent husband in my first marriage. My wife was was ill most of it, and I I didn't even, didn't even know what the word codependent meant. When I was meeting with my therapist, she said, you know, she basically explained to me I was codependent. I said, no, I'm not. I pay for everything. She goes, <laughs> <laughs> she goes, that's not what I'm talking about. So I I had to learn in my mid forties how to how to be more emotionally healthy and like put myself first yeah. above the other person. That was a complete mind shift that when I met Kim, I felt I met somebody that connected on that same wavelength. Yeah. Well, so let's dig in there for a minute. What define for our listeners, what is codependence and what makes that such an unhealthy piece of a relationship? Mm-hmm. I think you have a better, you understand it better than I do. Well, well I learned my codependence when somebody would ask me so in my first marriage someone asked me how are you doing and i would say we're doing okay and i would be describing how my first husband was feeling that day because Uh... his his health and well-being like if he had a depressed day i was depressed it's an unhealthy reliance on someone else's love for you so Mm. that you're defined by that person Um, your value is defined by their love for you and their happiness and that's probably not a really good description but that I'm, I'm more dependent on making them think highly of me and them valuing me than I am of my own self-worth. Yeah. If that makes sense. I was so codependent that I was not in touch with my own needs yeah. and feelings. And, um, and that's unhealthy because yes. you are, you're suppressing yourself for someone else and you, you lose your self-identity. Yeah. Yeah. And so specifically with marriage, I would say, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say that with codependence, that can, it doesn't have to be in a marriage. I mean, codependence could be a parent child relationship or a a friend relationship, or I mean, even maybe a coworker or something Mm -hmm. that you're creating a career with. Uh, But specific to marriage, we talk about how it's so unrealistic for us to think that our spouse is going to fulfill us or that our spouse is going to make us happy. That's Mm -hmm. not why God created marriage. He created us to be filled by him. And then we can do life and learn to love better through our marriage. So when you're describing codependence, that is a, I understand that, that that's an unhealthy place to be when I'm Mm -hmm. expecting my spouse to create my happiness or my Mm -hmm. spouse to fulfill me. That's not the way God created us. And we're setting our spouse up for failure as well as for us when we're expecting that from our spouse. Mm -hmm. You got it. Also, if, if most of your life is about pleasing your spouse, holding up your spouse, being there for your spouse, like they're literally the, the thing you live for 24 mm-hmm. seven, that's codependent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of times it's tied with being married to an alcoholic or somebody with drug addiction, but it's not necessarily, it, it could yeah. be just somebody that it's just because your, your, your entire purpose in life is holding that person up. And that, yeah. that's yeah. sort of what I was in my first marriage. So it would, a lot of counseling convinced me that, Putting myself first was healthy or healthier. And from a healthy foundation, you're more for the partner. Right, right. But my wife and I had a, we had a deal, my first wife and I, we, we literally had a deal. If I would put her first and she would put me first, so we'd have the perfect marriage. And we, we kind of, we, we committed to that. Oh. And I, I committed to that because yeah. I didn't want any different. At the time, that sounds really good. And yeah. 
Yeah. And I, my battery ran completely out. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's all about like, I'm worthy of love. Like the helper in me, going back to that earlier, you know, the helper in me, I, I felt fulfilled when I helped others and I would do mm. for others. Well, a healthy helper knows that I'm worthy of love, even if I'm not doing for others. Mm. Right. You know, I'm worthy. I'm, I have value. I'm worthy. Yeah. And a healthy lover, help, healthy <laughs> helper, <I> help people <laughs> anonymously. Yeah. They don't look for reward or, or thanks yeah, or, or accolades. They, just, or, they do it because that's how they're built. That's right. Yeah. So another aspect of that codependence what that you guys just kind of had me think of is also when there is a struggle in the marriage or when when one side of the relationship is is unhappy or unsettled with how things are, we often point fingers, you know, that if, if you would fix this or you really need to work on this, you're not loving me right. I wish you would communicate differently with me and that sort of thing. But in that same tone, it's about looking at ourselves as well. And so not only should our life revolve, not revolve around making our spouse happy, loving our spouse better, putting our spouse first, we need to be making sure that our cup is filled. We need to be working on ourselves growing. And it's the same way in a marriage when things start to fall apart or when there's a when there's a discontentment, it's not all about what our spouse needs to do better or what our spouse is doing wrong. We can look at ourselves first and say, how can I do better? How can, how can I do better in loving my spouse? How can I communicate better, mm-hmm. uh, you know, doing our part and not just pointing fingers at one another? You got it. Like, what's I feel our, like that kind of goes role? in the same. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Kim. Yeah. Like what's my role? Yeah, um, I know through through different support groups and things like that. When my first husband died, you know, I, I learned about depression, and this could apply to other things or any any addiction. Like I didn't cause it, I can't cure it, and I can't control it. So mm. although that was um, as a codependent person, that was my mantra. Like if something came up, I would be a friend to him, I would be a listener, but I I wouldn't try and fix. And the, the unhealthy helper was like, I'm trying to control it. I'm going to, you know, the, I took away the bill. I took away his responsibilities. Took, I started doing the bills. I wouldn't, if something hurt my feelings, I would not share, you know, and that's unhealthy. Yeah. But, but I would do all those things thinking, okay, if, if I don't do this, then he won't get depressed, you know? Mm. And that was so untrue. So I learned I can't control it. I didn't, you know, I can't cause it. I can't um, cure it. So it's things that are out of my control, owning that and not trying to, be the fixer. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys have a great perspective on working on yourself, being the best you, you know, for Mm -hmm. one another and that sort of thing. Have there been though, being a second marriage um, and a marriage later in life when you kind of know yourself better, have there been some things that you've unpacked together that you've had to work through to continue strengthening your marriage? Oh, without a doubt. All right, gang, we've had a lot of great conversation with Brett and Kim about heart healing and codependence. And stay tuned because part two of their interview will be live next week, where we'll talk more about communication, how to balance work and the effort that you put into your marriage, and also answer the question, is your spouse your best friend? Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take a minute to leave a review and share it with a friend to be part of Strengthening Marriages. Until next time, be sure you're loving on relationships.